0: Hello and welcome to the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Jason. I'm Keith. And I'm James. Season 13, or as I've always known it, Flux, is out on DVD and Blu ray and special edition Steelbook today. Now that the dust has settled on this unique series of Doctor Who, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to discuss the story in its entirety. It's a big departure from previous series in terms of being one long storyline with guest characters that appear throughout all the episodes. Uh, what did we think of this approach uh, compared to the uh, what we've got used to since 2005? Uh, what did you think, Jason?
1: It was a tale of two halves for me. Right, I thought the first three episodes were exhilarating. I was enjoying the momentum. I was enjoying the new characters. And especially compared to Series 11, which in my opinion didn't have a lot of momentum or connective glue, it just had a lot of interest for me. It was going somewhere, it was doing something that Doctor Who really hadn't tried to do in decades, which is tell a very long, sustained story. So I spent the first half of the season with a huge smile on my face, and I hosted The Trap One for Episode 3, Once Upon Time, And you can hear my enthusiasm if you go back and listen to that recording when I was young and innocent and before the world destroyed me. Then came episodes four, five, and six, and I quickly got the impression that nobody had any idea how to fly this ship, to quote a much better story full circle. So you can hear it in my trap one for episode four. And by the end of the last chapter, I was like, wait, so how's it going to end? And that's not really a good place to be in at the end of a six-hour story. Wait, how are they going to end this? It's already over. They should have had an answer to that. So by the end of episode six, I was a little disappointed and I was a little frustrated. But largely, it was, you know, Chibnall's going to Chibnall, and this is just what he does. You know, just doesn't have a satisfactory conclusion. And we're getting a new showrunner in two years, so next.
0: Ooh. And
1: James, uh, we, we last spoke for chapter one,
0: the Halloween, we um, which I think we're all pretty positive about. How Did you have the same experience or did your enthusiasm remain constant? I think
2: I, I did. At the beginning, I was really enthusiastic and I know we, we, we did the Halloween Apocalypse. So I was like, I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, We then had the Santaran episode and I really enjoyed that. And I I kind of thought that it was going to go along the line of um, the last sort of X-Files miniseries, you know, when they brought it back where they were sort of like going to have a standalone story and then a sort of mythology conspiracy story and then another standalone because we kind of followed that pattern for a little while. Um, And again, I I loved the, the, uh, the weeping angels story. I thought that was, that was good. And, and then we sort of just disappeared into this quagmire of the, the, the sort of, I I guess what Chibnall really wanted to get across had he had more sort of episodes to, to span it out. But we, we kind of just got, um, went headlong into the division and and the, sort of the revelations there, and then into the the final. Let's bring everybody back together and try and resolve this. And I and I think there were definite winners and losers from that I, I, in terms of characters. Like for example, bring Kate in, who then spends pretty much the whole episode standing in the background. You know, she 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 she, she doesn't really get much to do you you have uh bell and and vinder and the the child which i was just crossing my fingers was not going to turn out to be the doctor at some point um who who then you know they they reunited and uh, and went off with Carvanista. you you had professor jericho was probably one of the you know for me like the standout sort of guest characters who then got killed off so there was there was a lot of frustration for me I kept on saying I'm going to wait I'm going to wait till we get to the last episode and pass judgment because I was I was hopeful that there will be some um, resolution I would be happy with and I know we're not finished and that's I guess uh, that again sort of the unknown is we've still got two more episodes to go but I really don't see how all those strands are now going to be tied together because the finale certainly didn't go so far as to do that for me. So whilst I appreciate that it was something very different, it was a very different way of doing it, I liked having cliffhangers back. I liked how the stories went into one another. And I can see that working in future, potentially. I think the ambition was bigger than the actual product that was that was put out. Um, and that left me disappointed because i felt that there were some people that connected with it again waiting for some payoff and and certainly just going back to what you were saying about season 11 and it was quite dull and vanilla for for some people it was like here's something new and exciting and a different you know a bit of a risk i'm not sure it paid off for me um other than some interesting elements
0: and to provide an alternative viewpoint, Keith,
3: you, you loved it, right? <laughs> I did. I knew the ending was going to be terrible, so I didn't mind. <laughs> I really enjoyed the journey. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed, I loved everybody's speculation. I find yeah. some of the speculation was far more entertaining than was on the screen. I thought some of my speculation was more entertaining than the screen. I thought <laughs> some people proved themselves to be certifiably insane with some of their um, speculation. I quite enjoyed reading that. I love the journey, all the things. Was she the White Guardian? No, she was tattooed, but I didn't care because it was interesting speculating that. And the ending wasn't great, but it wasn't as terrible as as I thought it was going to be. I thought there was going to be a horrible reset button. I just thought it would all go back to, uh, uh, to the beginning, and it didn't, so I was quite pleased by that. And I can't think anything else that you haven't already said, but I enjoyed the journey. It was made a lovely change from... Previous stories. I think it was the first time I've actually got to grips with Jodie being the Doctor. I um, actually saw her as the Doctor for the first time. I've been quite disappointed previously, not to her as an actress, just what she was given to do. And I thought was this is the first time she got to be doctor to be honest. Um, so, yes, I enjoyed it. I didn't care about the ending because I didn't have high hopes in the place.
0: <laughs> I think I fall somewhere in between there because I, I really liked how propulsive it was. Liked how much it jumped uh, from from different sets of characters doing different things. Um, it felt a little bit like um, you know maybe you know at the start of like uh, Avengers Infinity War where you, uh, you you jump in between what all the different characters are, are doing, and then you know they're all going to meet up and intersect in the future. And I, I, I like that element of the storytelling. I think what you were saying there, Keith, about about the speculation. Sort of rewatching this over the weekend in preparation for this podcast. It reminded me of how much stuff from the early episodes um, we thought was going to be relevant or thought was going to be important. So like Vinda's space station being called Rose, Dan being resistant to Cavanista's mind trick. Um, the bit where Dan says, oh, my mate's got one of these. Because I, yeah. I really felt like that wasn't, that as much as we knew of the character and still know the character, it's not the kind of joke that he really makes. And I still don't know if that's not going to pay off. That whether he has met the fugitive doctor or the master in the past. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see to see about that. And then th- the big one that I thought was going to be relevant was uh, that Easter's ship hit a tempor- temporal anomaly, which meant that his ship arrived before the rest of the fleet. And I thought well, somebody's got to be behind that. But yeah, none of that so far um, has been explained. But like you say, part of the joy of, of watching it, Keith, it was that level of speculation on the internet and on podcasts and blogs and things like that of, uh, of what would and wouldn't be relevant. What,
2: what I did find quite amusing was a lot of fans in sort of the last season in particular were complaining about the amount of, of sort of Explanation that Jodie's doctor was doing. It's like every single story. She was like, Oh, and we're doing this next and we're doing that next. And they were like, you know, we don't want it to be simplified. And then what while the flux was on, it was completely opposite. They were like, oh, it's so confusing. Why won't someone <clears throat> tell us what's going on? And you're just like, well, hang on a second. It's like I know Chibnall at the very beginning said we want to treat people like adults. Um, You know, and there was a certain amount of that. And I I know we we talked about that on our our first one um, when we were talking about Dan and his, you know, maybe there was more to him. Claire, for example, maybe Claire was another Time Lord. And, you know, it was all those sort of random elements that I, I have to say at the beginning was just like, wow, I can't wait to see how this pans out. Um, And and there were, don't get me wrong, there there were brilliant moments in it. And I think one of Chibnall's greatest strengths but also greatest weaknesses is his desire to keep everything secret and, you know, not let anything leak out. But then you had that moment where um, Jodie looked in the mirror and saw the fugitive doctor. And I, that was a that was a real punch the air moment for me. I was like, yes, I really wanted to see uh, the Fugitive Doctor back. So that you know, and you had cameos, you know, by the Daleks and the Cybermen, and it, so it was nice to have some genuine surprises thrown in there. But at the same time, there were there was still. For me, a lot of sort of like, well, hang on, what, what was the point of this bit, or what was the point of that bit? It it never came to to anything. And but, like I say, there's two episodes left. There might be more to it. But it, I, I think for me, it's like introducing um, the division, introducing Tectoine, and then having her killed off straight away it's like here's a significant person in the doctor's life that she doesn't really know about and and is gone and and I, I and I know there's stuff I've watch and I know we're probably going to come to that as well but there was an element of I mean Barbara Finn is amazing as well so you know her her screen presence although it's short is is again it's very memorable but then to just have her disintegrated I, I there was a there was an element of frustration that I, I wish there was more time to explore it a little bit more before we the story rattled on to its uh conclusion and and again some characters just didn't really get that much time in it I think it, if it had been 10 episodes I suspect it would have been you know so much better because we could have had a few more those standalone stories but also more of that character development
1: so that's an interesting point about tech so let's uh, do a bit of, of a deeper dive into that this thing was filmed in two production blocks with two directors and each director did three hours each so block one is episodes one two and four Block two is episodes three, five, and six. I believe it was Jamie Magnus Stone, who's phenomenal doing episodes one, two, and four. And I forget the name of the director for episodes three, five, and six. The direction is outstanding. No complaints about the direction at all, especially given the circumstances of COVID. But now, Barbara Flynn, you know, probably the most prolific actor in the UK who had not been on Doctor Who yet. She was in episodes three and five, which is the second production block. That means they probably had her for one day, or maybe two days at best, on the one set. She spends all of her time standing in one spot, delivering exposition, and then she's disintegrated as soon as her exposition is over, which, you know, that's, that's all you need me for, guys? You know, I can't do a little, you know, song and dance, can't do a chase down a corridor, can't do anything else? So in episode three, they don't reveal who she is. And Phantom decides, oh, she's the White Guardian, which I never got that impression. But
3: <laughs> it's the they decide the- in the closing
1: <laughs> credits that her name is Osok. If you look at the credits, she's Osok, mm-hmm. A-W-S-O-K. That's a meaningless combination of letters. I assume they just pulled that out of a bag of Scrabble tiles. They could have given her any fake name. They just use a placeholder that makes no sense. So who is Osok? I spent two weeks. Who is Osok? What does that mean? Nothing. Wasn't even her name. Wasn't even delivered on screen. It was a complete cynical placeholder. Then they reveal that she's Tectayun. And I don't know, Tectayun had been mentioned in one, one serial before this one. They didn't spend a lot of time building up to her. I thought if they had done a better job, and by they I mean he, Chibnall, had done a better job of threading Tectaeum throughout the entirety of the Chibnall era, might have had a little more impact when she finally shows up in a different body than the one she was briefly seen in in Timeless Children, which was, you know, two years of screen time earlier. I thought it was a misuse of what Barbara Flynn could have done, and it falls into the same trap that we had in the Timeless Children. Tech Taeyun's job is to stand rooted to the spot and deliver exposition to Jodie Whitaker, who does nothing but reaction shot and reaction shot in response to these revelations. Dramatically it was not a very good use of the character. Thematically, it wasn't very interesting because we barely knew who Tek Taeyun was, and the revolution was, the revelation, I should say, was kind of bungled. Should have been this great earth-shattering moment. Instead, it's an actor standing still delivering a monologue and getting no response apart from reaction shots seriously? I mean I don't know how they pitch that to Barbara Flynn we're going to have you come in for one day you're going to deliver exposition you're not going to understand it, your character has two different names and then you're going to disappear in a cloud of CGI and she's like, great I don't know, the train of thought is hard for me to untangle
0: (laughs) I think she's maybe squeezed out by having two other sets of villains in terms of Swarm and Azure, and the Grand Serpent. Uh, is it a bit like sort of Spider-Man Three having having kind of
3: three opponents? Is uh, you know, is a little bit crowded? What do you think, Keith? I just think we're probably underestimating how difficult it was to make this series. I think mm-hmm. considering how, I mean, most things were closed when they started recording. They, we were quite surprised they had actually started recording because most things, entertainment-wise, were still closed down in Britain at the time. And I can't wait for the book about this series. I hope one day somebody writes write something definitive just to just realise how difficult it was. I think probably an awful lot of the exposition was because they simply couldn't show what they wanted to show, so it had yeah. to be described. Um, I think the way things were recorded were probably dictated by... Um, that, uh, you're probably right. She, they probably only got people in briefly because they had COVID uh, tests. They could be allowed to be used for a few days. They had to do their bits. And if they didn't get it recorded in time, they got bumped off in CGI and probably not as dramatically as originally intended. <laughs> I mean, we have to judge what is on the screen, but I also think we have to consider how difficult it must have been to have made this.
1: So here's my rebuttal to that. You're absolutely right. This was supposed to have been an eight-hour story, from what I understand, and they had to knock it down to six because of COVID. There's a very finite number of production teams available, and most of them are off making other shows. Great. You had a difficult time with production. The problem is, for the entirety of the 1960s, Doctor Who was filming inside of a shoebox, right? Lime Grove D. Maybe they had a couple of days at Ealing. The Daleks' Master Plan was also a six-hour story made under much more constraining production conditions, and that was a coherent story with a beginning, and a middle, and an end, and subplots. And by the and
3: no end because it falls apart
1: halfway through. So.
3: I disagree with that because as a change of writing, for the last six episodes bear no relation to the beginning. It turns into the chase of the last six parts. <laughs> the lead character disappears halfway through the first, last episode for no readily apparent reason.
1: Episodes one, two, eleven, and twelve take place on the same planet, and there's a conclusion. The chase stuff is episodes uh, was it five through you know five through ten. Because they not the That was amusing, thing and then we to get do. back to, to the plot. <laughs> but the point is, they made that story in a shoebox, and it had a at least for me, if not for Keith, a more satisfactory and coherent conclusion than Flux, which is made in the modern day with more special effects. Bigger budget and more space. So, who did a better job of this in 1965 and 1966, at least according to me? Where it's come (laughs) up Trump's
0: uh, in terms of uh, the COVID restrictions, because they didn't have any foreign uh, filming locations this year, they were able to put much more money into the effects budget. And some of that is there's just some really stunning stuff that we've, I think, never had in Doctor Who before. Even just kind of throwaway shots. So there's the the shot when the flux hits that planet, and we see the alien city and loose people,
3: (laughs) poor little people running away. Yes,
0: (laughs) (laughs) that that, when it blows up, or you see the remains of uh, the destroyed city that uh, that Vinda and Bell come from. There's it's just it's never looked so uh, kind of epic in scope, I think, and, and, and sumptuous. Uh, and the, the battle between the the redcoats and the Santarans as well—it's sort of like kind of Lord of the Rings quality stuff, that isn't it? Where the uh, the two the two armies are running towards each other. So I think having the additional budget for that type of thing has has given it uh, given it a bit more of an epic sweep, anyway.
2: I loved um, the division headquarters as well with the tree in the middle of it. I thought that visually again was was stunning. You know. And there was that shot where you saw the the space station or the, the 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 base that was it was in between the universes and it was in the sort of the gap in between and it it was so beautifully shot um, and and again you know <laughs> I think I said this in one of my comments it, it's now being run by just one ood. So, so to, is is the division now just one ood who is in the process of transferring over to another universe, you know. Um Tet-tung said um that the other side of the gateway where the where we believe the doctor was found is in the other universe. But again, it was it was just one of those like comments made in that whole sort of, you know, here's all the backstory stuff that never got addressed again it was like oh yeah you, you know you could find your real parents in this other universe but then it was all sort of kind of taken away so i don't know the the oh, a, there was a feeling of frustration um for me and it, but it, what i would say is at the very end um and again azure and swarm i thought were really sinister great additions to doctor who but in the end, you had this, this sort of the impression that time itself was the baddie. That actually, Azure and Swarm weren't necessarily the, the big bad. Time had sent them, you know, or because the, 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 time was the one that ended up destroying them, saying, you know, you failed me. Um, so I thought that was actually quite an interesting way to end it on There there was there was an element at the end where I was just like okay so you know we've had like Sylvester McCoy was like time's champion and I know Paul McGann was time something else but are we now finding that time is stalking the doctor this time and is the one that's going to ultimately lead to her
0: downfall yeah, there's a little bit of an echo of the 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 Battle of Ranskor of coloss where you've got these sort of two acolytes of um, you know of a, of a greater power who you know are, are kind of um, do, doing all this stuff. Although uh, obviously the genocide's got free, you mean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, although those two were a little bit more unwitting um, uh, kind of uh, uh, accessories to, uh, to to all their crimes uh, than uh, than than. Um, swarm and azure but it it, it was like kind of a, almost a retelling of that um so yeah that sort of battle between space and time stuff was uh wasn't really delved into it's quite sort of uh esoteric isn't it like how how that could work how you could have time without space um and whether flux and azure are actually dead because it was like they wanted the destruction of physical matter which they got and and when azure died she says something like ascendancy so it's like they're not necessarily dead, are they? They've just been sort of um, freed from a spatial existence.
2: Yeah, she said ascension, didn't she? Yeah, as she yeah. as she disintegrated, she was she was actually quite happy to. So there was a, the sort of inference that maybe they're not dead. Maybe they've been taken to, you know, to another existence or another plane. Um, it kind of reminded me a bit of the. Ah, um, oh, the the final tenant. You know, where the, the time lords were going to ascend into creatures of pure thought, and and I wondered whether there was something along those lines that actually they they may have physically um, been removed from the universe, but actually,
0: you know, they've they've gone on to to something else. Yeah, i become like those blue particles that we saw that were um, sort of devouring. Uh, time or messing time up, yeah. So I suppose while we're uh, while we're talking about the end of the story, there, because um, I've seen I've seen kind of both opinions on this on, on Twitter and heard it on podcasts about whether the the destruction that the flux inflicted on the universe is that still in place at the end of the series, or was it in some way reversed? Well, nothing
3: said it had been reversed, and at the, in um, Eve of the Daleks, the uh, the Dalek fleet was still destroyed, wasn't it? Because they were seeking revenge for them, and the actions mm-hmm. of the Centaurus obviously still happened, and they used the flux for that.
2: I think it still exists. I mean, Dan says, "Well, you did save the universe," but I think he meant that he/she saved the universe as in the whole thing was about to go. Really there zapped, was still yeah. a lot of damage done. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and again, like you say, the, the 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 Daleks certainly were, you know, unhappy with. What had happened with the the Santarans and the and the trap? So I'm not sure. A lot of people did suspect that everything had been reset, but I'm I'm not sure that it has.
0: I think the argument goes that Swarm said that he would uh, after he destroyed everything he would replay it, um, but I think that was dependent on time being freed from its shackles uh, on the Temple of Atropos, which it wasn't. So I don't think that that is an explanation for it. And the doctor says to die when she gives the, when she gives the doctor the idea to use the passenger form to absorb the flux. You, I think you've just saved the rest of the universe, or the remainder of the universe, something like that. So, yeah, I, I don't read it that um, that the uh, that the universe has been restored in any way. Um, I think yeah people have picked up on lines like the one where it says what can be what's compressed can be uncompressed and so on but it wasn't compressed was it it was obliterated so
2: there there might be some you know uh, as we go into the finale and time is going to try and escape or or is going to try and get revenge on the doctor there might be some kind of reset you know you, you could imagine at that point but it I was thinking about the the very first um, season, you know, when R- Russell T. Davis brought it back and you, it was on the back of the time war uh, and all through the sort of, you know, the first couple of seasons, you heard of planets and races that had been almost wiped out. You know, there was, it, it was, there'd, there'd already been a massive universal thing that had happened. And I think we've just, I think that if if they, leave it as it is after the flux it's it's just comparable to that you know there was there was a point during the time war where races were being born you know killed re rebirthed killed again so i think there is there's already been a lot of horrible things that have happened into the universe i think the flux is just one of those things it's just we we never saw the time war we never
0: got to see um some of the effects of that whereas the flux we we were able to and so, along with the uh, with the sort of serialized story, comes the return of regular cliffhangers. How effective uh, do we think these were? What were our favourites? What do you think, Jason?
1: The cliffhangers to episodes four and episode five. And I can see Keith gearing <laughs> up to disagree. The worst cliffhanger resolutions. <laughs> in the- I'm
3: trying to work out which ones they are because I can't remember what the exact cliffhangers. So four was angels, and what was? Allow me to summarize.
1: At the end of episode four, the doctor is kidnapped by the division and is turned into a weeping angel. This sets the internet ablaze. Are the weeping angels time lords? Are they imprisoned time lords? Was the doctor a weeping angel who became human? What's going to happen? Six seconds into episode five, the resolution is she unfreezes herself (laughs) and she's (laughs) never seen as a weeping angel again. End of episode five. The doctor is standing there. I believe it's uh, Swarm is coming in for the kill. He's going to zap her into disintegration. He's going to destroy her. His hand is getting closer and closer to her head. <laughs> End of episode.
3: See, I generally don't even remember that one. So that was so that was. And I'll tell you impressive. why I don't remember it.
1: Three <laughs> seconds into episode six, how does the doctor get out of the life and death situation? <laughs> she ducks. Not to mention, at the end of episode one, which was legitimately a great director cliffhanger, the Flux is rushing into the TARDIS console room. This wave of universe-destroying energy is about to get inside the TARDIS and destroy everything. At the resolution in episode two, they wake up in eighteen. Who's not done
2: that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Yeah, as you do. And they never explain how they managed to get out of the TARDIS and land Hmm. in the middle of the Crimean War. So it's great that there were cliffhangers at the end of every hour. And it's great that these were actual Doctor Who cliffhangers that end in freeze frame rather than a slow 45-second pan of reaction shots across every character's face, a la Star Trek The Next Generation. The cliffhangers were great. The resolution was awful to pretty much each one.
2: The, the second one, which was the click of the finger, they were doing the countdown, and, and uh, they were about to turn Yaz and um, the other guy sort of into the um, – Oh, I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but they, they were standing there in the, in the place of the aliens, weren't they? They were about to – that's it. Uh, and, and the resolution the to that things, was the Doctor yeah. jumped. the doctor didn't duck this time so even though you saw her in the in the sort of build-up to the cliffhanger she was just stood there in front of them and they were going two one and then click when you got the replay it got to like five and suddenly the doctor was grabbing Dan and they were running across the room and then you got to the click and they were already into position um I, I, I have to say although the some of the resolutions were were you know, as I, as I would expect, uh, I quite liked it. I mean, the, the one at the end where the angel took control of the TARDIS, I, 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 and again, it was very visual. Um, there was lots of, it was quite scary that there'd been this sort of hint that the angel was stalking Yaz all through the, the previous, uh, you know, part of the story when it came out of the games console and things like that. And I, I quite liked that, that idea uh it was a it was a moment when the doctor was turned into a weeping angel whether or not you know like you say that the next episode it was suddenly miraculously um resolved it was just to transport her that's all it was she was quantum locked so they could transport her but again i I think there was a a visual and i and i think for for some uh viewers who who are not necessarily familiar with the classic format having that sort of cliffhanger at the end not knowing what's going to happen and like you were saying mark about the the speculation it's like oh my god what's going to happen next i quite liked whether they all landed perfectly and you know on the next episode you were like oh was that it but i did quite like that
3: and and i i like the serialization of it um i think they should all been crash zooms on uh, colin baker's face (laughs) (laughs) but
2: uh, you know let's face it some of the when you go back and you watch some of the classic stories some of the cliffhangers are not even cliffhangers you know it's just sylve going are we going into the circus or not you know and then suddenly it's the (laughs) cliffhanger or climbing down his own umbrella oh look at those floor tiles (laughs) Yes, oh yes, that's a brilliant one. So I mean, <laughs> some of them are not as good, but I, I thought I thought it was nice to to have them, um, and I and I certainly wouldn't be, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be averse to, to to bringing in some sort of serialisation again because I, I I liked that. I I'm, again, you know, had the last episode been more conclusive for me i would have put my my thumb up for the whole for the whole thing i know it's had its it had its moments but I, up until sort of mid episode 5 i was genuinely enjoying it and then i just got a little bit sort of like i i did leave episode 5 thinking how are they going to have everything resolved in the last hour because there was too many plot strands and it And it was kind of like, okay, well, we dispatch the grand serpent, we'll just put him on a rock somewhere that's him, that's him out of the way right let's let's move on to the next part okay well let's let's do this, let's do that so i I do feel slightly let down by that um had there been a, a really good resolution to that that final part, you know it would I would have felt differently, but then that's the risk I think if you're gonna do a serial, you've got to end on a really strong. Episode, otherwise, you know, it it doesn't necessarily fit together that well.
0: That's just cliffhangers are one of the things I was most excited about when they announced it was going to be a six-part story. My immediate thought was, great, like cliffhangers back every week. So, like you say, it's nice to have it back. It feels very authentic as Doctor Who, and uh, and like you say, James, I don't know if the um, don't know if the resolution's really any worse than the classic series ones because. How, how do you satisfyingly, um, you know, kind of resolve a cliffhanger, really? Because it's always life or death, and then it, it's very rarely just going to be somebody who's getting killed, is it, at the beginning of the next episode.
1: Is that a good excuse, though? I mean, this is, let's think Chris Chibnall, Chris Chibnall. Let's talk about Chris Chibnall then, because he's not just J. Random, showrunner. This is the guy who went on television <laughs> looking at Pip and Jane Baker. And he says to them, right after uh, Trial of a Time Lord, which was the last effort of long-form storytelling, he says to them
3: – In a hideous food, let
1: me just. Let-, let me just I- – I have-, I have screenshotted all of his quotes from the uh, Season 23 Blu-ray. This is Chris Chibnall. And I'm looking at his face on my screen, which you can't see. It could have been a lot better. It could have been slightly better written. <laughs> well, not only that, but it was also very <laughs> cliched. It was very routine, running up and down corridors and silly monsters. And then the, and then the host goes, Pip and Jane, have you been listening to this? And then Chibbol cuts back. It was perhaps a little too routine, Doctor Who. It's not really very challenging for them to watch. This is the guy who went on television in 1986 and said, your show is not good enough he had 35 years to do a better long-form story. He didn't stick the landing. He should have been able to do better cliffhanger resolutions. He should have had a stronger finale. Okay, when they went in to make part 14 of Trial of a Time Lord, they still had no idea how it was going to end. And uh, one writer died mm-hmm. and the other one quit. And they had to have Pip and Jane come in on short notice and write. What was actually a pretty decent script. But here you have the chance to plan it out in advance and not go into episode six not knowing how it's going to end and chibnall just didn't do a better job than the trial of a time lord team and because of who he is it's disappointing this this is your response you couldn't do any better seriously really after 35 years thanks thanks for playing
2: (laughs) i think he is i mean if you look at his other work and and i am a big fan of broad church he he can do the long game, and, and 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 whether this is because of COVID and the restrictions and and having to sort of take that game plan and and like you say reduce it by two hours, that we've lost something. You know they they wanted to put something out, and and uh, you know I, I will say that the visuals, it looks beautiful. You know it doesn't matter what episode you're looking at, it looks beautiful. It may not necessarily sit together perfectly. But it looks beautiful and and in my head i can almost imagine how an eight hour version would run and some of the connections in between it but but that's what he does he writes you know long pieces he's good at the twists and the turns and the surprise reveals and things like that in, in, in his other work building to that crescendo of the last episode and it just just seems to misfire a little bit, and 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 maybe I am a bit harsh, and maybe that is because of all the things that it, that they had to contend with. Um, but it that that just is a little bit of a you know is a shame, really, because in a in a non COVID world, you'd wonder what that would that would really look like.
3: Do we know for certain though that that it was cut down because? I know they always said it was going to be eight episodes and specials. And we've kind of assumed that that eight episodes was going to be flux plus specials. But we don't know. Do we know for certain that's what's happened? That it has been cut
1: down?
2: Mm, I thought it had. I thought
3: originally that...
1: I've heard it mentioned on other podcasts. I've seen it mentioned on blogs. I just couldn't sort it We're also also repeating the same idea, though, aren't we?
3: Do we actually know for certain that this thing had been truncated? always intended to do a six-part story plus two specials, which would be the eight episodes he originally mentioned.
1: It better to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he lost two hours and had to change the game at the last minute. If it was always six hours all along, and this is how it ended, it makes him look even worse. I did wonder if there would at least be a mention
0: of Graham and Ryan in terms of, you know, how they were during the Santaran occupation or the, you know, kind of the events of the Flux. But uh, (laughs) neither Dr. nor Yaz think to mention them, do they? So given how recently they launched, I mean, obviously they, they were not going to name check all the companions who were living on Earth. But given that they <laughs> they had spent so much time with them, um, you know, that they they might have sort of given them a nod. You know,
1: what's Joe Jones doing? You know, at the Ian most? and Barbara, those immortal scientists <laughs> at Cambridge, bring them
3: in. <laughs> yes.
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but they um. I think they described there being several years, isn't it? The gap between them leaving. There's there's been adventures, yeah, in, in between. But it it is, yeah, I, yeah, I guess it is a bit odd that they they're not mentioned at all. But then most of the the the, the newer scenes are around Liverpool, aren't they? Rather than Sheffield, so the the there's quite a few of those scenes in the in the tunnels. Um, Dan's house, for example, in the first episode in the Halloween one. So I, I guess they're not – if they were in Sheffield, it would be odd if they didn't mention them or say, oh, we, I've just popped around to Graham's tea or whatever. But they, they don't really get that opportunity to do that connection, I guess. Ryan has this. a
1: YouTube channel on which he live-blogged the events of Woman Who Fell to Earth. You figure that he's still out there with a YouTube channel, Mm. live blogging the Sontaran invasion of Sheffield. You know, get Toast and Cole in for, you know, (laughs) uh, a 20-minute mock YouTube video shot in his garage. You you can put that in easily. But they didn't.
3: Even odd of that, after like we've all suffered under Sontaran occupation – like a couple of days later, people decide to visit a museum in Liverpool. You <laughs> think you've something slightly better to be doing with your time, really? Like <laughs> try to reform the government or something.
0: <laughs> and, and the sun's been blocked out for an, a period of time
3: as well by the uh, by the All well, the crops are dead, so actually, <laughs> mass starvation's <laughs> on the rise. And uh, let's let's visit a museum. Yeah, uh, settle pass some time before we expire, people.
2: And, of course, the Sontarans ate all the chocolate. Mm. Who
3: knew? I suppose seeing those scenes just sort of like uh, emphasise people who think that a reset did happen because, I mean, it did look like nothing much had occurred later. There was no sort of like damage or bodies in the street or any sort of sense of like shock for the people sort of like going to a museum. Mm. Or working in a museum. The monk trilogy
0: all over again, isn't it? That'll put it down to some kind of uh, mass uh, psychotic event or something. That'll uh... <laughs> be another incident when Donna Noble was screwed on. Did you say about sometimes? That we talk about also the, the heroes and villains um, across the story. So, um, I mean, I think I, for one, am delighted that the potato-headed Sontarans, conceived by Robert Holmes as a joke about a monster who removes his helmet to reveal a head that's the same size and shape underneath, have finally been taken seriously again. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about this on Twitter and how they've just been treated as a joke for too long and now they've been t- uh, treated like a serious threat again. It's about time, isn't it?
2: But then, But then they went from that to suddenly being able to outwit the Daleks, the Cybermen, you know, as one of the last people standings. And I, I I found that a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I, I know like the invasion of time, I know they, they've, they've had dealings with the Time Lords. There's been, you know, moments when they have been a lot greater. I think just because we, we've seen them fall away into the more comedic, um, villain, um certainly within the the newer series um but it it was kind of like oh they've they've managed to infiltrate earth they've they've managed to trickle the aliens of the universe. It's like wow, it's like suddenly they got their act together um just you know just in time for the end of the universe. <laughs>
0: they're really staking their claim as the third biggest villain Dalek Sidemen, uh you know. Ice Warriors, nowhere to be seen. Santarans, we're
3: number three. Yeah. I, mean, I like the appearance better. I, I thought the costumes were better now. I was never quite very keen on the blue of the um, previous one, so I like the sort of gone back to the black.
1: There was a bit of a... And I almost hesitate to say the name now because he's a horrible human being, but there's almost a Joss Whedon influence on the villains throughout Flux because you have... Azure and Swarm, who are self-aware and can make jokes about their names being translations, and they're very witty. The Santarans are very witty. The whole notion that they invade the Crimea because one of them wants to ride a horse is brilliant. It's some of the best writing <laughs> we've seen on Doctor <laughs> Who in years, even though it's from Chiminal. <laughs> oh, wait, did I just say that out loud? Anyway, I like the idea that we have self-aware, funny, well-written villains who are not stupid or one-dimensional and they're not there strictly as comic relief. We are laughing with the Sontarans, not at them. And I thought they were a huge improvement. I really liked uh, Azura and Swarm. Uh, The Angels didn't do much for me because, as I said, when I hosted the Trap 1 for Episode 4, they weren't doing anything we hadn't seen them do before. But I liked how all the other monsters were used. that was one of the... And I realize I've now spent 45 minutes complaining about Chris Chimnall, but there's elements to the flux that I really, really enjoyed. And this is one of them.
2: I like, I like the, um, the angel that came through on the graph and the one that was on the paper and she threw it in the fire and the angel appeared on, uh, you know, on fire. I think, I, I again, I think the angels unfortunately are great when they first appeared, you know, in in that sort of, uh, in blink, Later on, sort of, as, you were, as they were used more and more, lost that that scariness. So I felt there was a little bit more um, threat from them in this story than than there had been in, in previous ones, where you might have just seen an arm of an angel come out of the snow or something. Um, so I felt quite pleased with the way that they were were were, were used. I'd, I'd say that the sontarans i i again i like the the retro design of the Sontarans. i like that they've stripped some of that comedy away i you know they're they're much more strategists um you know and and working together with the sir you know the grand serpent to 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 infiltrate earth and uh, and i kind of there was a there was a big storm at one point. The, it was I was watching the episode recently with the the New Year episode with the Daleks where they phoned up Unit and Unit wasn't there, and it was just some lady in a call centre. And I always wanted there to be an explanation for that, and now I've kind of in my head written in that the the Grand Serpent had undermined Unit, so that was why Unit wasn't wasn't there, and Kate had had to go sort of like undercover. So I, I, yeah, I quite liked that aspect as well where there was um this sort of almost rewritten history of unit where they were explaining how the, the Grand Serpent had infiltrated. So you had you had this sort of um you had the Santarans that had travelled in time as well, like you say to the Crimean. You had the Grand Serpent that was using time travel to again influence things that were going on. Um so it it was quite good to see them teaming up with with someone else to sort of try and manipulate things behind the scenes. So I quite liked that aspect, but it was kind of like, like I say, at the end where they become universal, you know, we've defeated all the villains in our secret trap. I I found that just a little bit too,
3: you know, but um, I I thought they were well used. I thought the genocide of um, the Lupari by the Sartorans was totally wrongly played it seemed to be like a there was no visuals it at all b it was a massive thing i mean that's a genocide of a whole race which is covered with oh i'm so sorry and that just didn't need to be there they could have just said we've gained control of their ships or something like that but not slaughter an entire race and just have it play no part of the plot well, well, well so sorry. Just more, Bye. More and that was it yeah. It's because
0: they couldn't afford any more costumes. So it was just just the one. It's, it's a pity we didn't see more of the Lupari, I thought, because I, I would like to see if they looked like different breeds of dogs. Uh, whether, mm. <laughs> uh, it would, uh, And then because, um, okay, I don't know if this was borne out anywhere, but I kind of had a theory that that Easter had a Yorkshire accent because he was a Yorkshire Terrier. And I was curious to see whether uh, <laughs> there was a German Shepherd one that would have a German accent and things like that. Uh, Scotty Dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the Scotty, Scotty dog, dog
1: from Lady and the Tramp had the Scottish accent.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd uh, I like to sing a little bit, but we'll never know now.
1: Although the, the big sorry, the big Easter egg in the trailer for Dan as a Companion, the guy who was reading out the horoscope to Dan in that trailer was the actor who played Carbonista.
3: Hey, Carbonista. Who was he? Oh, I didn't, never read oh. that. Oh, excellent. They put him in that trailer yeah.
1: because he's already been cast as Carvanista and the clothes that he's wearing match the color scheme of Carvanista's outfit.
3: Mm. Right. And he have been COVID tested. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but there was, there was a huge, I mean, there was the, the genocide of that race. You had the, you know, the practical wipeout of the Daleks, the wipeout of the, the Cybermen. I mean, at the end of that story, there, there was quite a lot of um, destruction, and it, and again, you know, um, it, it, it's not really the doctor. Maybe too wrapped up with everything else that's going on, but it, nothing is really acknowledged about that. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll um, turn this, and then we'll wipe out the suntarans as well.
1: It's quite. <sighs> to know. And that's why the Sea Devils are coming back because the Sea Devils are the only alien race left.
0: <laughs> if they want to meet the others, they must travel back in time too, before they're all wiped out. But I suppose it's a little bit like the McCoy year, isn't it? Where you know, remember it's the Daleks? You got the whole Dalek fleet wiped out, and Scaro, and then the Cyber Fleet was wiped out in um, *Southern Nemesis*. It's, it's that kind of scale of of destruction and, and defeat, isn't it, for for these kind of big. Uh, alien races, and I guess what they what they've done a lot of in
2: the Jodie era is try to pull that scale back, haven't they? I mean, I think you got to a point, particularly when you got towards the end of the Tenant era, it was you know universal, you know um, battles on a massive scale. We're going to, you know, the dialect's going to wipe out every single race in you know in history across all known galaxies and and i think what they've tried to do is try and rein that back in so it's it's not necessarily the end of the universe in every single story but then you do have this kind of like epic thing where all the villains turn up to try and find a safe haven from the flux and end up all being wiped out
0: I like the scale of that of, of sort of almost mapping out the universe a little bit, that there's bits where the Daleks live and the bit where the Cybermen live and and some tower and zones and things like that. That's um I suppose it makes it a bit more like maybe sort of Star Wars, something like that, where there's sort of definitive um, you know, kind of areas and, and you can have them meeting each other and, and uh, you know, battling each other and things. That that side of it's quite nice. But again, you know,
2: that's in the story because of the flux they've gone in and neutralized all the survivors yes. <laughs> so it's kind of like what is left you know? a lot of empty planets because they all got on their ships and came to earth to try and hide and then all got got destroyed
3: anyway so it's so basically uh, humanity wins hooray we're the must of the universe <laughs> which is the last ones <laughs> left we're the best we win hooray <laughs> The universe is ours, finally.
2: <laughs> oh, see, so that's that's, the, the, that's why the doctor always says, you know, humanity is, is you know, it's probably the most scariest but, <laughs> race out there because we're the only ones that ever survive. <laughs> Just go on to conquer the rest of the universe.
3: Because where were the draconians? Well, dead 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 we win they're all gone We're <laughs> the winners. we'll never have to watch Frontier in Space again thank god for that <gasps>
1: fighting words fighting oh. words love Frontier in Space whoops
3: <laughs> yeah. if you like escapes that's your business <laughs>
0: So we talked about the villains of the piece. What, what about our heroes? Um, did we think that Belle and, and Vinda's story was, was was satisfying? I think there was an expectation that the, the baby was going to be much more significant, but I think really we're, we're just supposed to be in, invested. In the idea don't, the joke, don't joke, because we, we've still
2: got another – we've got the finale to come yet, and <laughs> I'm sure they will be back with
0: baby in tow. So – I mean, um, if we talk about the finale for a little bit so I mean it's, obviously time suggests uh, it says your enemies and their master so it suggests that, so do we think it's going to be another kind of big epic Dalek like Cybermen or do we think do, do we think that Robertson and Lenny Henry and the Grand Serpent um, are all going to team up with the master and all these all these sort of uh, these villains that basically got away with it the first time round uh, are all, are all going to come back well
1: Keith has been cataloging the crazy predictions, so I'm going to make my crazy prediction for the finale, and then when I'm proven wrong, Keith can come back and laugh at me after you guys do the centenary special. They've been building up to uh, the Joe Martin Doctor, the Ruth Doctor. That means, by definition, she has to be in the centenary, which is the Jodie Regeneration special. There's really no obvious place for her in the Sea Devil's historical. So she'll be back they'll probably tell the story of how she was captured by the Division and had her memory wiped. I suspect that we're going to see Jodie's death juxtaposed against the last hours of the Ruth Doctor, and the Ruth Doctor's plot strand will end with her character dying and regenerating and turning into David Bradley. That is the only way that character arc makes sense for me. That's what I want to see, and it's so crazy that Chibnall might actually do it. Is there not a line though that
0: um, that suggests that the the first doctor, as in the the Hartnell or Bradley doctor, was a child? Uh, that that um, there's a, a line in the Timeless Children. I think something to the effect of that she was returned to childhood, uh, so you wouldn't actually see her regenerating to David Bradley so much as uh, you know maybe the kid from Listen or something.
1: Well, in Longbarrow, and how many people online thought that house that was seen occasionally in flux was the Longbarrow house? In Lungbarrow, the, the first doctor. The
3: yeah, tree was a loom as well. There was lots of people saying that. That was a loom and it yeah. was Lungbarrow, yes. And that was all
1: wrong. But
3: am part kind of It was.
1: <laughs> Lung Barrow is back in the canon, the first doctor is born as a fully grown 55 year old William Hartnell and is born as a 5 foot 6 man with white hair. So, in that logic, you could have uh, the Ruth Doctor regenerate into David Bradley, who's now well into his 70s.
2: So, I think the the. The watch will will be the thing. Yeah, the, the watch will explain the end of. I think the roof doctor and I. I, I, I think you're right. I think the roof doctor, the, the fugitive doctor, will will come back. I think we'll find that she did something probably so bad that ended up having to to. Be basically, you know, wipe her memory and and force her to regenerate. Casualty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she did a couple of episodes of, of, of Holby and you know botched a few operations,
0: so that they had to uh, had to wipe her memory. So, yeah, so you speculated about the uh, about the centenary special, but, um, yeah, what, what did we think of, of Belle and Vinda's story arc and them as characters? I love
1: the acting. Thaddea Graham is a revelation, and if she comes back and she's the only companion ever between now and the end of the series, I would be happy. I thought she was terrific. <laughs> uh, the speculation that I saw is because she was only there for the second production block, right? So she's there for episodes three, five, and six. She was so good – they wrote a special standalone sequence for her to slot into episode four, which had already been shot. So that whole whole business of her in episode four was done late in the day and dropped into the script because they wanted more of her and they didn't want to go episode four without her. So that's how good she was. However, she spends most of her time on her own and she doesn't get to interact with the doctor. I thought she would have been a great companion working alongside the doctor and instead she wasn't. Vinder again, very well-performed, has a great start, and then sort of disappears and is doing his own thing for the back half of the story. And he has a very, very brief reunion with Bell. For me, if they come back in the centenary and we see them again and get a resolution, I'd be very happy to see them again. But as it stands, I thought it was a great start and kind of a weak finish, not because of the acting, but because of the writing. They sort of just run out of things to do in, in, in the finale. Cause there's so many other characters to sort through. Had there been fewer characters would have had more room for them.
2: Yeah. They kind of just rode off into the sunset, didn't they? With Carvanista. It was kind of like, we've resolved the story now. So we, we don't need you. if you want to just pop off on one of those ships. Um, yeah, it did feel a little bit rushed at the end that you didn't get any of that.
1: Um, Go that on. was another Sorry. point. Carvanista's entire race, seven point nine million Lupari, have been destroyed. But it's okay because here's two humans to live with you, and it's all better now. Congratulations! <laughs> That's the uh, worst consolation prize in the history of consolation prizes.
2: And they're having a baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hope the baby so I'm
2: sure, I would be delighted. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. <sighs> It's difficult, isn't it? Because, as I say, some of the characters got more time to develop and got more to do. And I think with Vinda, Vinda was a you know, to begin with, was a good addition to the to the cast and it worked quite well. And and part of me liked the the sort of the love story that evolved over that episode where you had at the beginning. Um, Belle was sort of talking and telling this story. And then you realised that it was Vinda that was her love. But then, and I really didn't like this, you had it shoehorned into the end credits of an episode where it was like, oh, by the way, just in case you forgot, we still have these other characters where you you were you're halfway through the end credits. And then they did a cutaway scene. And then, I don't want to be too frustrated, but Blake Harrison who came in did a cameo what was the point of his character other than to
1: interact
2: with Bell? Uh,
1: just for the benefit of those of us in the US who is Blake Harrison and which character did he play?
2: So he's from the Inbetweeners he's a, he's a young guy who's in the, he's from the Inbetweeners, so he, he's quite well known over, over here he's, he's one of a couple of the in-betweeners that have started in episodes recently and his whole role was on that planet where bell saw um azure and the passenger where he was like oh they've come to save us and she was like i'm not so sure
1: Okay, that was what I was alluding to. That was the scene that they shot with her to get her into episode four because she had not been part of the production when the body of episode four was shot. So mm. that was kind of a filler sequence meant to give her more to do. That was, that's the speculation that I've seen.
2: It, 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 it's just a, it, a weird thing because they made this big thing about Blake Harrison being in it and it, it, that that's his... I think he appears when Vinder turns up on the planet and says, oh, yeah, she was here, and that was it, you know. And and, and it's, I felt some parts of it were kind of just tacked on to the other. It was like, oh, by the way, we've still got this going on. And then when you got to the end and they reunited, you're right, there wasn't really much of a, you know, apart from the emoji thing going smiley face, heart, heart, smiley face. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was that was, about, that was about it. And then they were like, right, we're off with this dog. <laughs> just, I'm sure they will be back for the finale, but it, I don't know. There, I, there just wasn't a significant payoff.
0: How about you, Keith? We, we invested in the love story. Do you think it would have worked better if we'd seen them together, maybe in a flashback? Uh, and how in love they were before they were separated, rather than just be told it.
3: No, I thought they were quite cute. I thought the point of them was to show the universe after the flux, see see it through um, other characters' eyes rather than our superhero leads, and then uh, let them fade to the background. I mean, Chibnall's got quite a record for having couples join the TARDIS and just disappear in the background. It's the same um, with Revolution. There was was a couple in there who sort of like... Joined the crew briefly and then just disappeared into the background once the use was served. But uh, I think they're quite nice. They uh, showed the universe was not a terribly nice place, and then once they served their purpose, they ran off with a the dog.
0: There was uh, some controversy about the idea that the uh, the as yet unborn child, as the uh, as um, Pithily <laughs> wrote the dialogue, uh, you know, was, was sentient and could communicate, um, which. You know, is, is,
3: uh, is maybe uh, more political than it was intended. Oh, we don't to know be. they're humans, do we? So their babies might be. It doesn't mean they're like ours. So.
1: I mean, to be literal, Vinder, when he was on Space Station Rose, recorded 21,460 progress reports. Hmm. Let's assume that he's doing three of those a day. That's 7,000 days. Human gestation is 240 days. Bell's not even showing yet. <laughs> what species are they? Is it a 50-year gestation period? Are they are they like blue whales? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody didn't think that through.
3: So they're not humans, so their babies can do whatever they need to do for the plot. They'll, 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 maybe there'll be some
2: scene okay. in the final where one of them regenerates.
1: And as they, they they appear to be from far in the future, because Vinder is in service to this galaxy-spanning space empire, running over a guy with awesome hair, uh, which is uh, what's his name, uh, the Grand Serpent. The best they can do for fetal technology is a blood pressure monitor with the leads ripped out. That <laughs> wasn't very creative. Mm-hmm. I tease. I tease.
0: Uh, I suppose then, then the other sort of heroes we've got uh, Professor Jericho and Claire. Now, now I have to say, those
2: two characters I loved. I want Big Finish to do a spin-off with the two of them. I mean, I know obviously Jericho <laughs> is apparently died at the end, but I'm sure there'll be plenty more that you know uh, Big Finish can pick them up while they were back in time in this village and different investigations. I thought they worked really really well i thought claire had an air of mystery about her she you know when she first appeared at the tardis where she was like oh i'm gonna to have to do this the long way round," and everyone was like oh i know that quote and you know um i, I just thought you know it, it, when you saw her in her a, like a 70s gear as well and you know i i just thought uh she was a really good character and Compared to some of the time, you know, she she got an episode really, you know, in the Angels episode um, to to really shine. But even in the bits where she was just uh, one of the ensemble cast, I thought she just really stood out. And and, um, the same with Jericho. I like the fact that Jericho became a TARDIS companion, um, you know, and travelled with Yaz and, and Dan and... You know, even some of the sequences where they were trying to find clues as to the end of the universe. Um, I, I He really sort of threw himself into it. I mean, when they met the the, the monk on the hillside and and everything, you know, just the interaction. I just thought that was really good. So I, I think those two characters for me were like the standout ones of um a carvinista i really liked and 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 obviously he was in a lot of it but i think those two characters really stood out for me probably more so than someone like diane who again i i question what was what was the point of diane apart from to come up with one idea at the end and then she went oh by the way because you stood me out for dinner i'm not going to see you again um it, it, it was like you've gone through all of that and she just walks off um so I, I I do like those I, I I liked Claire and Jericho I have to say
0: I think they say uh, with Calvin Easter and Jericho it was a really pre- uh, and Claire it was a really pleasant surprise that they were in more than one episode because I like Easter so much in the Halloween Apocalypse that when he turned up in the War of St. Tarrant to rescue Dan and then and then kept reoccurring I was I was really happy about that and yeah Jericho especially because Kevin McNally is a pretty big name actor the the fact that he stayed on for the second half of the series was uh, was really good and, and got to travel and have adventures and, and all the rest of it was uh was
1: fantastic. when carvenista jumps back in at the end of episode two and he says i've got a human in this fight that's one of the funniest things i've ever heard because it's our expression i've got a dog in the <laughs> fight but he's saying it i've got a human in the fight i didn't pick that up until the second viewing
0: yeah he's uh, he's great uh just yeah fantastic character um as you say probably will Reappear for the centenary. It sounds like it's going to be very crowded. Um, Centenary. It does, uh, and
2: again, that worries me a little bit. That there's again, we've got too many characters to 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 tie up. Um, um, Including in that now is obviously the relationship or the start of a relationship with Yaz, which I know that you start to see. more sort of come to the forefront in flux. I mean, it's been it's been hinted at previously, but in flux, you've got the point where she's looking at the hologram of the doctor all the time, and Dan, you know, he he, he sees it for what it for what it is, and I know it comes out later on. But I, I, again, there's I like that. I like the the element of of Yaz coming out um, in the eve of the Daleks but then you've only got two episodes left to, to give that a satisfactory conclusion which again i i feel frustrated that there isn't time to to flesh it out to give it the you know the focus that it deserves so again be interested to see how that pans out
1: Carvinista is so old that he was running around with the ruth doctors crew mm-hmm. so it stands to reason that assuming that joe martin comes back he will be right there alongside her as we see her final hours so we're guaranteed to see him again at the very least even if we don't see claire or diane or Belle or vinder or the grand serpent or kate stewart again then I think I saw speculation that Kate Stewart was brought in because that was supposed to be Captain Jack Harkness. And then they couldn't use John Barrowman because reasons. So that's why they brought Kate Stewart in to take over someone else's plot thread.
2: Oh, I thought that was Vinder. I thought Vinder had been brought in to replace Jack. Hmm. I don't know for
3: sure. Well, I heard this is all <laughs> speculation. I heard that Kate was there for the office scene originally, but that was going to be it. And then it was going to be Captain Jack was going to like step forward, and I'm the defender of the Earth in the last part. Ah. Then again, this is all pure speculation.
1: Anyway, but mm. I, we're making it up as we go along.
3: <laughs> That's why we need the definitive book about how this was going to go. <laughs> I'm generally fascinated by that.
0: Because they've got a similar problem with with Chris North or North uh, now as well, haven't they? If if a further appearance for him was planned, because it did feel like they left that open at the end of the uh, the the you know the the second Dalek oh, news. So Teller
1: has already been shot. So if they've already got scenes with him, they're in the can and edited and ready to go. The problem is, I, I heard that one of his other projects was pulled because of the the difficulty that he's in right mm-hmm. now. So I wonder if that'll have an effect. They might have to you know. Cut out his scenes and bring in Christopher Plummer to record them on short notice. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing something similar with, uh, with Army Hammer
1: films yeah. at the moment as they're well. They're finally they? releasing Army Hammer's uh, Agatha Christie movie, Death on the Nile. Yeah, they are.
2: And so, he's going to be—he's going to be in it, uh, but it's coming
1: out three years late.
0: So you wouldn't know from the trailer is in it, would you? There's a sort of. Can you, can they've, you, can you they've edited it, uh, some
2: of it but they they haven't recast
0: or refilmed
1: it was given like 17th billing in the credits
2: i did, just want to just go back to what we were talking about what time said at the end of the episode and, and i know we were talking about our theories my theory <laughs> is that it isn't the master because i think it was too much of an obvious thing to say so i i think when when they're talking about you know um beware your enemies and their master i think it might be someone else um yeah susan (laughs) war susan um Um but I I wouldn't be surprised if it was you know, we've talked a lot about the past of Gallifrey. It wouldn't surprise me if it was one of the former founders of of Gallifrey that has come back to basically say, Where's Gallifrey gone? What's you know, what have you done? Uh, etc. And that could be part of what, you know, what does for the fugitive doctor um is that there's there's something to do with that. So I think, yes, I think the master will probably be thrown in there along with everything else in the centennial. But I, I wonder if this is going to be a moment where they, they bring back someone else like, um, Omega or something, you know, a a former president where they, they're going to bring them back in to try and, you know, basically blame the doctor for everything that's happened.
1: So here's the exact quote from the online transcript of chapter six. Uh, Nothing is forever, no regeneration, no life. Your time is heading to its end. Beware of the forces that mass against you, whispers. "Ah, They're master. So forces that mass against you, you know, it's probably more than just the sea devils. And whoever typed this out put master in capitals as if they're expecting that to be the Mm -hmm. Satya Dewan master. So. It would make sense to have Sasha DeWan come back for Jody's last episode, but who are these forces that are massing against her? That I guess is a question that has yet to be answered.
0: I think it'd be it be Lenny Henry and um the uh, the Grand Serpent. Um maybe Chris not Chris knows maybe not Chris, Chris knows Russell now, G Davis. But, uh, uh, you know, those um you know the uh, the racist guy from uh from Rosa you know these these kind of uh, these villains that um that just either teleported away or were just allowed to to walk off maybe they'll all sort of team up um, with the Master but you, you're absolutely right the Sasha Duan Master has been one of the big hits mm. of this era so it absolutely makes sense for him to be back for the finale and he's been with the Sea Devils before so we might be seeing him sooner than uh, than that I mean he's still got the Siberium inside him
1: if you remember right I put that right out of my head. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> so he's still he's, he's
2: still got that that power within him, and we assume that he escaped Gallifrey's, you know, at the end of that, that episode. But uh, I just, part of me wonders, you know, how much further do you go with that? He's already destroyed Gallifrey, turned them into a bunch of mutant cybermen and, you know, tried to crush the doctor with this revelation about her past. It, it just felt a little bit too obvious. It's like, I don't know, maybe I'm giving Chibnall a little bit more credit than, than, he, than he does deserve. <laughs> I just thought it was a bit of an obvious one. Um, and it would be so nice at this point if, again, there was a surprise, like someone, someone reappeared. Cause it's bearing in mind that, um, you know, we're saying that the, the doctor has been around since the birth of the, the Time Lord, so there could be someone from the Time Lord past. And and like you say, Carvanista was around as a companion to the roof doctor, so has been around for 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 many, many years, um, prior to this current doctor's
0: um mm well they're time travellers though so it doesn't necessarily need to be that like that as old as the Doctor's lifespan hmm. does he? he could have been so just returned to this point in history after the travels
3: I wonder if that um, I'm going to make my prediction now so you can all laugh at me in the future I think it's more meta than that I think it's literal I don't think she's going to regenerate I think she's going to do the survival she's going to walk off into the sunset and then they'll do an Eccleston and he will just come the new Doctor will appear fully formed
2: I I've heard that that is likely to be the case is that when we get to the 60th anniversary, we won't, there won't be a regeneration into the new doctor for the end of this series. The doctor will appear at some point like Christopher Eccleston did. He mm. sort of appeared, you know, sort of five minutes into the episode. Uh, you followed Rose and her sort of, you know, um, in the shop with the auton
3: and then the doctor appeared, um, so I choice so really they're either going to do like a cheesy she starts regenerating and it literally just stops freeze frame and that's the end.
1: Mm-hmm. Or they
3: have to superimpose the new person into position because that's all recorded. So, yeah. and so if I, I think didn't... it means literal she's not going to regenerate. That that's a clue to the fact she's not and she's gonna walk into the sunset with Yaz, and then literally the new series will start with a new doctor. And we end the speculation of what happens to it over the years. Yeah. And then she pops for the seventieth. Recording Regeneration.
1: Mm. After RTD's second term as showrunner, Stephen Moffat will come back for mm-hmm. a second term as showrunner, and he'll have a Judy Dench doctor in between Jodie Whitaker and whoever comes um, next. Stop. Is he living that long? Bloody hell. <laughs> over and over and over again.
2: But I, I think now that they you know, talk about the, the number of the doctor, It doesn't. I, I think they're going to try and move away from that by having this gap. And they've kind of done it with the master because you never saw – um you know missy we don't know which master uh sasha is we we just know he is the master we don't know whether he was immediately after missy because we saw missy and um uh what's his name kill each other off and we never saw any regeneration so i i think actually there's probably a smart way to go because then you've got license to do a whole load of other Bits and pieces. If you wanted to, you've got room to manoeuvre. So you're not seeing one doctor regenerate into another. I think for some fans, you know, bearing in mind that they brought back uh, Paul McGann to film a regeneration sequence, I think there will be fans that are like, no, you know, we, we want that. We want that completion of. Of of Doctor to De- Doctor, but I really wouldn't be surprised if if that's where you know where the new series started off is that we we don't even know who the Doctor is until maybe the end of the episode. Well,
3: that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah.
0: You know, yeah, a surprise one would be amazing if they could ever pull it off. Over the Doctor regenerates and we've no idea whose face we're yeah. going to see. Um, and 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 Chibnall's secrecy. Um, it's been effective enough that, you know, maybe he's the one that can pull it off.
2: I can't imagine, though, that I mean, filming is going to be starting soon, and I can't imagine that they'd be able to film without someone seeing, you know, who's on the, the, the set or, you know, that they could keep it up I not know which difference. is which,
3: though.
0: They might not, you know, we and they might we say, well, actually... But we might not know which one's which, so... Wouldn't that be good? Bring it. In actors and just uh just they could do they could do like a romana-esque
2: scene where
0: and and i and i
2: and i i would love them to just do one where you know the the doctor walks in and it's chris marshall and just goes no and then walks out again and just (laughs) changes into someone else (laughs) because then at least he can say i've done it now so stop pestering me for every time there's a new doctor um but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would, you know, I'm fanboy gushing now for, for Russell T. Davis, but I, I would love there to be something like that where there was a, you didn't know who the Doctor was until the end and then you were like gobsmacked going, oh, that's who it is. But, the, you know, the constraints of, of filming and, and doing it under such secrecy, I'm not sure they would
0: get away with that could you I mean, could you would you have to have them on set now could you I don't know, sort of 3d model somebody's face if it's just for a second uh, a few seconds at the end of a story and then only kind of one uh, you know kind of uh, boffin would uh, would just be doing <laughs> it on his computer uh, and you would have the face of this actor without him having to be near the set and compromise security in that way maybe that's the answer so you could have um, oh, what's his name that
2: played gollum um, and Circus yeah and Circus He just <laughs> <laughs> and Circus is the doctor but then they see him someone else's face over him. <laughs> 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 but uh I, I don't, you know I I'm ready to embrace a new era and see what you know Russell T can, can do the second time around but I just still you know I still want Jodie to have an epic conclusion that, that actually says, do you know what Mm. this, you know, um, this journey that we've been with her was worth it. Rather than we're trying to get this over done over and done as quickly as possible, because we know that there's something else further down the road. That's your lot. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but you know, hope springs eternal and the sea
1: devil looks Beautiful, so hmm. oh, doesn't it? Doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it all. I'm excited for the uh, the two specials um, and and the uh, the new series that lies beyond. And just knowing that the future is safe uh, of the show for the foreseeable um, is, is is fantastic as
3: well. I can't believe we're concluding without discussing the best character of the whole of flux, which was Williamson. He was my favourite, absolute favourite character of the whole thing, and we've neglected him entirely. He was my favourite character trope, which is a very grumpy, bad-tempered person who turns out to be have a heart of gold. So, he was my favourite. He's been <laughs> totally ignored by you. You're all cruel. I don't know. He's marvellous. I mean, the, the
2: the Williamson's tunnels is is quite fascinating because it, it it's they're real and no one knows why they were built. So, I think you know it was a really good bit of. And now we do. Inclusion into it. Yeah. All these people now breaking into the tunnels to see if they can find an alien world or can <laughs> if they can find yeah, a world world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you,
0: you don't need to break anything. You can, you can yeah. Own. Someone I
2: know has just been on one. Um, it, 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 but uh, when that first went out, that first episode went out, and um, they were talking about it, the, they did that flashback i googled it and, and was quite surprised to find it it was a real thing a, a, a real life mystery so you know it's always nice when something that is included um but he generally just turned up in tunnels or looking bewildered in scenes where he was like where the hell am i now uh, and
3: then ran off again yeah. <laughs> it was very bad tempered and uh, survived which was always quite nice <laughs>
1: It turns out he was working to a plan. He had all those doorways uh-huh. mapped. He helped save the day. He had a much better. Uh, he, had, he had a really impressive finale. He was one of the. He was one of the best things exactly. about chapter six, really. He was great, but he was in my notes. <laughs> so I apologize. Uh,
0: <laughs> but yeah, and and hopefully that's uh, you know it's going kind of boosted tourism to the actual tunnels and uh, you know make makes his story a bit more well known. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a great, great thing to exploit for Doctor Who as well, isn't it? That this guy built all these massive tunnels in Liverpool and nobody <laughs> knows why. It's a uh, pure Doctor Who story fodder, that.
1: That's one of the great things about the Chibnall era. Now, again, I I was a last-minute booking for this episode. I haven't prepared. I'm just sitting here insulting Chibnall <laughs> because it's easy. But I want to legitimately – I want to legitimately say that the best thing about the Chibnall era is he's taking these forgotten bits of history. I'd mm-hmm. never heard of Mary Seacole. I only heard of, Mary, of Madam Ching, who's going to be in the next episode on a different podcast two months ago. I'd never heard of her before that. I'd never heard you know, being in the States of the Williamson Tunnels. He's taking these actual significant historical figures or interesting historical mysteries that aren't widely known – and he's giving them the same airing that Doctor Who would have given the more well-known historical things like the Aztecs or Marco Polo back in the 1960s. He's shining a light on some really interesting stuff. And for the younger viewers, he's giving them an interesting portal into history. So I think it's great that we're seeing the Williamson Tunnels. I think it's great that Madame Ching is going to be a major character in the episode. And if we can take one thing away from the Chibnall era, that's maybe his, his best contribution. Well, that and Tasman. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I I mean the the Rosa one is still like a standout story for for myself and you're right there are he has shone a light and I know he's coming to to criticism for some of the political side of things but actually I think it, episode like Rosa for me is works perfectly I, I think it's a piece of drama but it also gets a point across and um, you know there's been a couple of other historicals which have you um, which have done really well. So I think I think he has done well with those. Uh, some of the other bits, you know, some of the other stories, not necessarily always uh, land, but certainly the historical ones have been uh, stronger.
1: Demons of mm. the Punjab was phenomenal. Yeah, and uh,
2: that, uh, the, one, uh, the one with the witches. The witch and, yeah. Um,
3: finders. yeah, the witch finders. finders. Yeah, yeah. I must be so shallow, I didn't like any of those. I like Kablam.
1: <laughs> well, you didn't like Dow's Master Plan don't... either, so. I like the first one. Like <laughs> Episodes 11 and 12 are as good as Dr. Kablam. He actually he disappears Come for on. no reason halfway through. That's not Terry Nation's fault. That was the producer hated William Hartle and wanted him gone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a story for another podcast. The we'll animated yes.
2: <laughs> I think uh, again, uh, another thing that I I spotted. So I don't know if you saw after Flux had finished, Jodie and Chibnall released a video explaining it. <laughs> did you see that? It was, no it was it was on the Doctor Who no. sort of social media. They they did like a uh, a sort of five minute recap of how the flux fits together and part of me was thinking if you have to, you know if you if you have to do that after your, you know the six episodes have aired what does that say you know you should walk away again oh, yeah, I understood everything that went on and I really get it but there was a, there was a whole breakdown of oh this is what's happened previously and this is what happened here and this is why this happened and this is why that and and it was it was, you know, it was, it was, it was well done. I'd seen a couple of people on Twitter do similar sort of breakdowns of what was happening and, and why these things were, were interconnected. But I did think that doesn't necessarily, for me, send the right signal if you've got, you know, a couple of days after the finale is aired, this is what it all meant.
3: it's, Let's like, hope it's on the DVD then. <laughs> <laughs> it's, one of, it's one of the specials. <laughs> Introduction. Yes. <laughs>
0: I, I didn't see that, but I'll find it. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, if anybody uh, if anybody wants to check that out.
1: That takes us back to Time Lord Victorious, where the most important part of the story was released as a, a as the cardboard backing to a doll. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to answer your questions on screen. Not a tertiary. I so I
2: say wanted that last ood to be Brian the Oud, you know one that I I, I want Brian the Oud to be the division going
3: forward because I love Brian the Oud. You don't want <laughs> Brian the with the power to destroy the universe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but in such a nice way, it would be so yeah. like, would you like, like to
0: while I annex your
2: country your planets? It's just <laughs>
0: Yeah my head canon is that Brian was the Ood that was in prison uh Aww. with the doctor in the uh the Dalek episode. That, um, that second story so, mm. yeah
2: could well be there was a Pating, wasn't there as well i just watched that episode mm. and a silence
0: i forgot about that
1: i <laughs> forgot uh, you were here <laughs> the doctor says <laughs> I-
0: to wrap up, uh, just so something that you mentioned there, James, about the division. Uh, do we think it's still a going concern, just with the with the one Oud running it, or do you think that's that's basically it? Because the Ood, his heart wasn't really in it. Was it? he? Was uh, you know he was quickly turned by the doctor. But I mean, we only saw that one room. I did. I did think that maybe there were. Uh, you know kind of rooms elsewhere that were um there were division agents training uh you know like the avengers compound or something like that or the danger room from x men um and uh, you know maybe that uh, we we only saw this sort of control room i think
2: i think the division is not finished so far as the story and i suspect that because when they were talking um it, it, when Tatooine was doing all this sort of positioning bit the the division had hundreds of agents across time mm-hmm. and yet the doctor could only find Carvinista as the last remaining one mm-hmm. um and i and i do wonder whether the fugitive doctor who because we know that the you know um from um earlier they were looking for the fugitive doctor to arrest her uh, and then jodie ended up in prison instead mm-hmm. i wonder if the Fugitive Doctor had something to do with the downfall of the division. Uh, that, And that's what what, what sort of brought it to an end and whether we'll see that. I, I don't know whether there's anyone left in the division, uh, whether or not they were wiped out.
0: I suppose we, we don't know if they are kind of in that witness protection type system like the Fugitive Doctor and Zero yeah. were, and, and that's why the Doctor can find them, or they've got the chips in their heads like easter that they... They Can't acknowledge it, but the two division agents that we see in the Halloween apocalypse that beam down oh, yeah. to check that, um, that you know, to check that, um, Swarm is still imprisoned. I took it to I took it that they had come from that division headquarters, mm-hmm. which made me think that maybe because it was quite a big space station, wasn't it? We just saw the one room that there may be our barracks and things in there that that, that was where they came from, mm-hmm. could be, but then that might suggest that
2: someone else may move in and make it theirs.
0: Yeah. The Rani or Susan or whoever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh, Any, any final thoughts? I want to apologize in the unlikely event that Chris Chibnall is listening to this (laughs) episode with bated breath. I apologize for the last hour and 45 minutes of bashing him I loved the first three hours of The Flux. I might enjoy the last three hours when I watch them again, taking them on their own terms rather than being frustrated and waiting for a finish that I didn't personally write. There was a lot of good stuff in it, a lot of good acting, a lot of good jokes, a lot of good writing. I just thought it completely failed to stick the landing, and maybe that's on me and not on Chibnall, and maybe... The centenary will answer all those questions and then the flux will improve in retrospect. Um, For me, it was a missed opportunity, a little disappointing, a little frustrating, but it wasn't horrible. Uh, You know, seven out of ten at least.
2: I think when you've got a show that's coming up to 60 years old, you have to do something different and you have to take a risk and you have to push, you know, push the envelope around what it's doing. And I think that in some aspects of the Lux, it has been successful in doing that. I think there are, you know, there is fresh innovation there, which I, I hope will be taken forward. Um, I, I agree there are some points that don't land, uh, maybe in a way that we would want them to. But then I have seen, you know, people online saying that they loved it and they loved this and they loved that. And um I, I want there to be a good wrap-up of everything in the centennial. I'm not sure how at the moment that that can happen because i thought that might happen at the end of flux and it didn't and now we've got even more to sort of wrap up by the time we get to to the to the end of jody's era so um i'm still fingers crossed you know going into that with an open mind and going well let's see what happens uh at this point um but um yeah i i i similar to yourself i think i would have scored it higher had the end held up but the initial excitement and and sort of speculation didn't make it to the end um despite the appearance of time at the end which was a little bit of a you know oh let's have a look at that um but yeah i think it was could have been amazing instead it was it was interesting
3: I thought it was great. I really enjoyed the build-up to it. Each episode gave us speculation. I've got friends who have drifted away from Who for the last couple of years who started watching it again. Mm. Admittedly, they drifted off again by episode five, but <laughs> they, up until the Angels, they really, really loved it. Um, I thought, as I say, I thought Jodie worked the best for me since I've been uh, since she's taken over. Um, I'm a bit similar. I've never really forgiven Chibnall for attacking the series in the first place, and I've always slightly resented his presence. So it's a big it's a big, uh, um, it's a big thing for me to get over, and I did. I've enjoyed this year, I, and I'm glad you said about the jokes because some bits were genuinely funny as well. So it was good. It didn't have a great end, but look back on some of the s- recent seasons and New Who, do we ever really enjoy the conclusions? Because I don't think we ever really do. <laughs> so <laughs> It's better to travel, hopefully, than to arrive, and this was a, a better journey than we've had for a while.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think it's my favourite uh, Whittaker season, definitely. Like you say, a big thing for me is, is the humour was was much much better. The jokes landed a lot better, um, and yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was a great ride. I think that was the uh, it, it kept you know if if you. Don't, you know, sort of uh, stop to think about it too much because you're going to do a podcast on it. If if you're just watching that as an hour's entertainment on a Sunday night, you'd think, wow, that rocketed by. Loads happened. It was funny. It was propulsive. There was a a cliffhanger. Um, So, yeah, I um, I enjoyed it a lot. And like I say, it remains to be seen which dangling plot threads might still yet be, uh, be answered and make us reappraise the whole thing
1: like the pocket watch just open the watch already yeah. <laughs> we spent six hours about looking for that watch and she drops it into the middle of the tardis console and says keep that hidden
2: <laughs> but now that the tardis is reconfigured we don't know we don't know where that it's probably going to end up somewhere just hanging on a wall or something you know since it since it rebuilt itself so
1: It's in Ashling B's storage locker, and Nick will find it at the uh, next New Year's (laughs) Eve visit.
0: Actually, one thing that I I, I did like that, again, just on this rewatch I noticed, um, because I think I mentioned this maybe on the Halloween Apocalypse episode, that um, as far as I can remember, there's been no acknowledgement throughout this era that there are any other rooms to the TARDIS beyond the control room. But when Dan comes aboard at the end of Vanquishers, she points him in the direction of the bedrooms. Uh, she says, you know, the bedrooms down there on the right, go and sort yourself in. Um, because up to this point, there's, there, there hasn't been that acknowledgement that that there are the rooms and that people are living aboard and have their own um, kind of bedrooms and things. So, so I like that. I like that element of it. No rooms, but eight doors now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Mm. Like, uh, is it when um, Yaz is sleeping in that TARDIS in the... Second Dalek special. she's got like sleeping bag on the floor, and you think, well, there's there's loads of bedrooms. Just go and grab one while you sleep on the floor. Yeah. So yeah, that's a minor point, but but one that I liked. seemed <laughs> like a weak point to end on. But, uh,
1: but, yeah, <laughs> we are where we are. <laughs> It wouldn't be a chivalrous retrospective if we did, if we didn't have a weak, disappointing chivalrous ending. So. Um, we
2: just have to leave a f- few th- threads, you know, just hanging with no resolution forever. And one of you is going to have to go off with the dog.
1: <laughs> I'm opening my pocket watch. No, I'm not. <laughs>